0: Hello, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you all very much for coming. So in this episode of Money Concepts, we are going to talk about inflation and specifically, how do we protect ourselves from inflation? So we've already done one episode on inflation before. Uh, that was kind of a technical episode. We got into details of uh, what is LIFO versus FIFO and um, if, if a company adopts LIFO, how, how will it be affected by inflation? And if it adopts FIFO, how will it be affected by inflation and, and things like that. Uh, this is a more of a high level podcast. We are going to uh, sort of step back and uh, ask the question uh, more holistically if we want to protect ourselves from inflation. What are all the steps that we should take? Uh, So I have drawn ideas from multiple uh, people to uh, shape my thoughts on inflation. So the first thing is uh, Warren Buffett. Uh, He has written some outstanding articles on inflation so one, one of the best articles that I've ever read on inflation is uh, Warren Buffett's uh, Fortune magazine article, which I believe he wrote in 1977. And uh, at the time, uh, in, in the 70s and 80s, uh, inflation in the US was kind of rampant. And it was approaching something of the order of, 15% uh, per year by some some measures, even 20% per year in, in some years. And uh, so Warren Buffett was grappling with this problem of uh, how exactly to invest uh, Berkshire's cash in this kind of inflationary environment and still earn a good return for investors. Uh, for, for example, Buffett loves to uh, say that uh, the true test of whether you're doing well as an investor is what is known as the hamburger test. And the hamburger test is basically, um, it doesn't really matter how much your investments appreciate in dollar terms. What matters is what you can buy with the investments. So if if you put, say, um, $100 into a stock today, uh, and after two years, that $100 becomes, say, two $200. So it's like you've doubled your money in two years. But if inflation is so high that $200 two years from now buys less than what $100 buys today, then you've actually had a negative return. No matter how much your investment appreciates in dollar terms, your return is still negative in purchasing power terms. And so Buffett makes this distinction between uh, just calculating a return in nominal terms versus thinking about uh, in an inflationary environment, thinking about how uh, the purchasing power of your money changes over time. And the purpose of investing is uh, to safeguard the purchasing power of uh, your dollars. So typically, uh, when we uh, try to achieve financial independence, what we are doing is uh, we we earn a certain amount of money over our lifetimes. And as we earn this money, we save a portion of it. And typically what we do is we invest uh, these savings into something that hopefully compounds over time. And eventually, that compounding should be so powerful that we are able to achieve financial independence. This is the the, the whole idea uh, behind personal finance management, uh, how to achieve financial independence through a combination of earnings, saving and investing. Uh, The problem is that in uh, in a 2% inflation environment, which we've been living in for the last 10 years, uh, these three things are relatively easy to do. Uh, whereas uh in a in a 10% inflation environment that we are kind of living in today uh all these three things are hard to do and uh so let's let's look at each of these separately so wh- why is earning uh hard to do in an inflationary environment uh well there are two reasons why earning is hard um the 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 first reason is If you earn the same amount of money every year, what happens is in nominal terms, you may earn the same amount of money, but in real terms, uh, your salary is actually decreasing because if you earn 100K this year and then you earn 100K the next year, uh, in an inflationary environment, 100K next year will not buy as much stuff as 100K this year. Uh, So it's almost like your, your salary is decreasing over time. Uh, And of course, we don't want to do this. So we we want our uh, income to keep pace with inflation. And if inflation is 10% per year, uh, we want our income to grow at 10% per year. And that is pretty hard to do, uh, especially if you you have an ordinary job in the US. uh, It is actually pretty hard uh, for your salary to grow at 10% per year. In other parts of the world, it may be slightly easier. Um, but still, it, it, it is difficult to have incomes keep pace with inflation. Uh, the second reason is that uh, in an inflationary environment, especially if inflation continues for a while, what happens is companies start seeing rising costs. So if, if you're Starbucks, for example, you, you the, the cost of coffee beans goes up over, over time because of inflation. Uh, if if you're uh, Apple, uh, the the um, the cost of manufacturing an iPhone, uh, the semiconductors that go into an iPhone, and so on, the cost of that, the cost of shipping those iPhones uh, from China to uh, to the U.S. and things like that, the the cost of everything goes up over time. Um, and usually, what happens is when companies uh, experience these kinds of increasing costs. If they don't have pricing power, if they cannot raise their revenues uh, to grow at the same rate as costs, what happens is their profits get reduced. And um, in order to prevent these profits and margins from deteriorating over time, um, some companies start to look at laying off employees and so on. Uh, So in an inflationary environment, uh, our jobs are all uh, at at greater danger of uh, of being lost um, and typically what happens is uh, if if enough companies institute hiring freezes and things like that we are already seeing several companies uh, that have announced hiring freezes we are reading about these things in the news so a hiring freeze is uh, m- more like a like a gentle uh, introduction and the next step if uh, if inflation continues and uh, if if interest rates start increasing and so on uh, the next step may be uh, laying off people uh, so during inflationary times especially if the inflation is accompanied by a recessionary environment uh, what happens is companies will start laying off people and this is all sort of a, a positive feedback cycle so what what happens is uh, some companies may start laying off people first and that may uh, create a recession and then uh, because of that recession more companies may start laying off people and and so on so I'm, I'm i'm not saying that a recession is going to happen or i'm i'm not going to predict that this is what is going to happen in the future it's notoriously hard to predict these kinds of uh, macro things but what i'm saying is that uh, a recession is definitely more likely in an inflationary environment than in a non-inflationary environment. And moreover, what the, the Fed um, may, may not have as much power as it once had to cut rates and things like that. So uh, when, when a lot of people were uh, losing their jobs during COVID and things like that, the Fed was immediately able to slash the Fed funds rate and things like that. It was able to take decisive action And uh, governments were able to uh, send these uh, stimulus checks to people and and so on. Uh, But now, when, when, uh, but at the time they were doing all this, inflation was at 2%. But now inflation is at 10%. So the Fed knows that keeping interest rates low is good for asset prices. It's good for the economy. It's good for companies to get access to cheap capital and things like that. But it also has this effect of creating inflation. And so um, even though low rates may be good for the economy, uh, the Fed may still be uh, forced to raise rates uh, just to contend with the problem of inflation. And when that happens, uh, the chances of a recession are higher, the chances of job losses are higher and and so on. So um, if we are preparing ourselves for the worst case, which is always a prudent thing to do whenever you're doing any kind of financial planning to prepare yourself for the worst case. If we are trying to do that, uh, then we we should have some idea for how we are going to manage the shortfall in our income if if we lose our jobs or something like that. It's always a good idea to 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 hope for the best case and plan for the worst case. Um. So so Warren Buffett in in his uh, meeting, uh, Berkshire meeting this year, he uh, gave us one very, uh, very nice nugget. And he he was basically saying that if you want uh, to protect yourself against inflation, one of the best things you can do is invest in yourself. Try to be the best at what you do. So if you have some kind of marketable skill, If you're a doctor or a lawyer or a dentist or an accountant or whatever, whatever your chosen field is, if you're one of the best in that field, then you have a certain amount of pricing power. You can command a certain price for your skills and you will always be in demand. Whereas if you're not the best at what you do, then uh, your job may be the first on the chopping block and things like that. So, um, I, I thought that was great advice when I when I heard it. Uh, so, one of the first things we should do um, du- during inflationary time, du- during all times, but during inflationary times in particular, is to try and be the best at what we do. Uh, try to acquire marketable skills, try to acquire specialized knowledge, and uh, generally try to be the best at what we do so that we are as hard uh, to replace as possible, and we can command a certain amount of pricing power with our skills. So that is the first uh, thing. The second thing is, uh, we should try to diversify our income sources as much as possible. So these days, it is very, very easy to set up a business and have an internet business going and things like that. Uh, there are lots of um, g- great uh, uh, kinds of business models cropping up all over the place. Um, there are several people I know uh, who would never have thought of starting their own business 10 years ago, uh, who are able to start their own businesses and have, have them be cash flow positive and um, uh, profitable today, uh, thanks to the power of the internet. I know people who have uh, YouTube channels, they have their own podcast, they have Uh, newsletters. There's just uh, so many new business models, internet-based business models that are possible today uh, to supplement our um, source of income from our jobs. And so it it is important to explore some of these alternatives and try to diversify our income as much as possible uh, so that we are not overly reliant on any one specific source of income. Uh, so this is always a good idea to do. It's the, the basic principle of diversification is you don't want all your eggs in one basket. And um, th- this is exactly that. So so that is uh, th- those are the two things to do uh, to protect our earning power. So number one is to be the best at what we do. And number two is to diversify our income sources. Um, then the second uh, thing we should do is to try and save as much as possible. So uh, frugality uh, is, is a virtue. And uh, Charlie Munger has this saying that if you're re- really worried about inflation, uh, one of the best things you can do, one of the best defenses you can adopt is to not have a lot of silly needs in your life. So uh, if, if, you, if, if you're spending a, a, a lot of money, uh, on unnecessary things. Uh, during inflationary times, it's a, it's a good idea to cut down on on those things. Uh, because if you if you if you take somebody who earns say 100000 $100, dollars a year, now uh, let, let's say their savings rate is ten percent, so they spend ninety k and then they save ten k. Now, if inflation is ten percent and their hundred k income doesn't really grow that much. So next year, uh, they will have to spend 99K because previous year they were spending 90K, but all the expenses have gone up by 10%. So they'll be spending 99K. And so their savings will go from 10K to just 1K. So a 10% increase in inflation uh, results in their savings uh, dropping by 90% uh, from 10K to 1K. And this is not a good situation because if inflation is is running at ten percent, you don't want your savings to suddenly drop ninety percent. And one one way to not do this is to try and be frugal and to save a larger fraction of your income. Uh, so this this is uh, fairly uh, basic basic math of uh, saving and comp- uh, sa- earning and saving. Uh, the third most important thing is. Uh, Once you have a certain handle on your earning power, once we all uh, do this diversification and so on, we have multiple sources of income and all that, uh, we have earnings and we have savings. Now the question is, we can't just uh, put these savings into a checking account because uh, we live in a period of high inflation and the checking account is losing purchasing power every day. So we have to find some way to invest this money. And this is a challenge. Uh, inf- uh, inflation can make it very, very hard to invest uh, properly. Uh, so, one thing we have to do is if we are active investors, we have to pick and choose companies whose business models are relatively robust to inflation. Uh, there is no such thing as a company that is, uh, that is Inflation proof, uh, but there are some companies that are more robust to inflation than others. And we have to try and identify these companies and we have to buy them at reasonable prices. Um, so w- what exactly are the economic characteristics of these companies? How, how do we read a bunch of 10 Ks and 10 Qs and financial statements and figure out whether a particular company is robust to inflation or not? Uh, so, I like to look for a few key economic indicators. Uh, one economic indicator is uh, pricing power. So uh, if if a company has pricing power, what it means is they can raise prices on their product or service, whatever they are selling, and their unit volume will still not suffer. So if if a company is, is let let's say Apple is selling iPhones for a thousand dollars a piece, uh, if if they increase the price to thousand two hundred dollars, uh, what what's going to happen? If a large number of people are going to stop buying iPhones and uh, may, maybe use their iPhones longer or uh, take take longer to upgrade their iPhones, or if they are going to switch over to Android or something like that, then it means Apple does not have pricing power, but. Uh, even if Apple charges $1,200 for an iPhone, if if the, they are able to sell the same number of iPhones that they sold the previous year before the price increase went into effect, it means they have pricing power. And y- usually, uh, if you want to look at a, a set of financial statements and to, and tell whether a company has pricing power or not, the things that I look for are margins. Uh, So, uh, companies that have high gross margins and high operating margins, generally, uh, it it means they're able to charge a premium price and get away with it. Uh, So, uh, that means they have a certain amount of pricing power. Um, The other thing that I look for is return on invested capital. So, uh, we live in a capitalist society. So, if a company has a very high return on invested capital, Uh, then what happens is competitors will try to come and uh, compete with this company and uh, try to get that return for themselves as well. Uh, But in spite of this, if a company is able to keep its return on capital high, then it means that it has something unique, something that its competitors are not able to replicate or or something like that. Something unique about the company, its product or something that is protecting its return. So this company has a moat. And moat very often translates to pricing power. So uh, that that is another thing I like to look for, high return on invested capital. And the third thing I like to look for is uh, 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 capital lightness. Uh, So so if if a company uh, does not use too much of capital, then it is more likely to be robust to inflation. So I'll I'll give you a, a, a simple example. So previously, I was thinking that pricing power is enough for a company to be robust to inflation. I wasn't even thinking about return on cap, uh, capital. Um, but then after reading Warren Buffett's article, how inflation swindles the equity investor, and after reading some of his letters, I realized that there are actually... Uh, two conditions just pricing power is not enough you actually need uh, return on capital to be high as well and you you need a capital light business model and i'll i'll quickly explain why that is the case uh, so let's let's take uh, a simple example let's let's say you're a retailer uh, so this re- retailer uh, every, every year let's say uh, they're going to buy 100 million dollars worth of stuff and sell that stuff for 120 million dollars so they they pocket uh, this this 20 million difference so the owner of the business could withdraw 20 million dollars per year but now what what happens if there is inflation so if there is inflation uh, let's say there is uh, 10% inflation so next year uh, the the cost of these items The company buys. It's it's going to increase from 100 million to 110 million because uh, the the company is going to have to spend 110 million to acquire the same amount of goods that it previously acquired for 100 million, Uh, and of course it's it's going to sell it at a 20 percent markup. So uh, so 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 its its costs are going to go up 10 percent. It's Revenues are also going to go up 10%. The margins are going to remain exactly the same. And uh, so its profits will also go up 10% in this inflationary environment. Uh, So it might seem like this company is robust to inflation because uh, inflation is 10%. Profits have also gone up 10%. So what's the problem, right? But if you analyze the cash flows... Uh, that is where you see that there is a difference between earnings and cash flows so uh, let 's say this company uh, in the in the first year when there was no inflation, it bought one hundred million dollars worth of uh, stuff and sold it for one hundred and twenty million so now it 's got this extra twenty million. But the problem is next year it has to buy stuff for one hundred and ten million, and so the owners of this business cannot withdraw. The entire 20 million of profit. They have to keep 10 million in the business because the business needs it to go and buy uh, $110 million worth of stuff. So the owners of the business can only withdraw 10 million. They cannot withdraw 20 million. So uh, essentially, uh, from the owner's perspective, their cash flows have been cut in half because of inflation. So even though profits did not suffer at all, profits are going to go up 10%, inflation is going to be 10%, but still the cash flows that the owners can actually take out of the business have gone down. Uh, They've dropped 50%. So that is why when a business has to invest more capital into itself, whether to buy inventory or whether on fixed assets, things like that, when a business requires capital, and it is not able to increase its return on capital in response to inflation, uh, that business is not going to be robust to inflation. Uh, so, th- this is one realization that uh, that misses a lot of people. So, a lot of people are confused by this. They think, okay, revenues are up, profits are up. So, this company is robust to inflation. What's the problem? The The answer is you have to not just look at profits, you have to look at, Capital, you have to look at how much capital has has to be reinvested back into the business. And every dollar of capital that has to be reinvested is one dollar of capital that is not available for the owners to take out of the business. So this is a very uh, subtle point, but a lot of businesses can increase profits. Very few businesses can increase cash flows. And uh, businesses that can increase cash flows are the ones that are robust to inflation. Uh, so, so that is the thing. Uh, the, the other thing that I like to look for is uh, businesses that have done a good job at borrowing money. Uh, so with inflation, the, if, if you have money saved in a checking account or a savings account or something like that, that money loses purchasing power over time. But uh, inflation helps borrowers. Because the idea is you can borrow money at uh, today's, uh, you you can borrow more valuable dollars today. And then when you have to repay the money, say five years later or something like that, uh, you you borrow 1 billion today, you uh, you return that 1 billion five years later, maybe with a little bit of interest. Uh, But five years later, uh, each dollar that you return back is going to be less valuable because of inflation. Uh, So inflation can help borrowers and we can use this in two ways one is to find companies that are disciplined about borrowing money that have structured their uh, debt uh, very intelligently Um, so the the example that i like to give here is uh, home depot so if if you go and look at home depot's debt home depot has about 35 billion dollars of debt or something like that on its balance sheet but if you go and look at how they have structured the debt Um, So the debt is not due all at once. It's due uh, over a period of 50 years or something like that. I I think they have debt that is due in 2055 or something like that, which uh, they they, they issued today. Um, And uh, so so these are very low interest debt and uh, they have structured this beautifully. Uh, They don't have any big cash flow commitments or anything like that in any given year. So what they have done is uh, they have staggered these debt payments so that there's no huge amount of money that is due at any one time. It's all due over a very long period of time and borrowed at very, very favorable terms and and so on. So I like companies like Home Depot that take advantage of uh, debt markets when they can access them, when they can borrow money at low rates of interest. But the problem again is uh, debt can make a company very fragile. So uh, if there's something that happens to Home Depot's business and it is not able to uh, generate as much cash flows as it, as it used to, uh, then Home Depot may find it a little harder to pay off the debt and pay the interest payments and things like that. But the management has done a beautiful job structuring the debt in such a way that this risk is minimal. And so Home Depot is likely to benefit from inflation, just because they have so much of uh, debt on their balance sheet. So judicious use of debt is something that can that can help investors of Home Depot as well. Um, on on a more personal note, the, the, I I know people who have borrowed money at two point seven five percent or something like that to buy a house, and uh, these guys there, they're they're, uh, they're going to pay back this loan, this mortgage, over a 30-year period. Uh, and if if there is a period of high inflation, if we, if we go through uh, the next 30 years of uh, if if inflation is high, uh, these guys their their payment every month is going to remain fixed. It's not going to change uh, just because inflation is high. So. They are able to borrow money at a low rate of interest and then pay it off over 30 years using less and less valuable dollars. And so um, if you can take advantage of this kind of situation in your personal life as well, it might be something that's worth looking into. Uh, So broadly speaking, these are the three ways uh, earning, saving, and investing. Uh, So this is how I think about trying to protect uh, my own portfolio from inflation, trying to protect our own, uh, our family's finances uh, in in the face of inflation. Uh, So there are two or three more uh, misconceptions about inflation that I'd like to address. So one question that I get a lot is, uh, why don't you invest in companies that have high capex, high uh, fixed assets? Because if you look at these companies, they've already spent the money required to get these assets, and now they've already bought these assets, they have these uh, valuable assets, and they're just going to monetize these assets over time. Uh, during periods of high inflation, these assets are going to become so much more valuable in the future. But this company doesn't have to go and uh, buy these assets. So why not invest in companies that have lots of fixed assets? Isn't that a good strategy uh, during an inflationary environment? And the answer is no. and. Why is the answer no? Simply because whenever you have companies that have these huge fixed assets, there is always some amount of depreciation and some amount of maintenance capex. So these fixed assets have to be maintained. uh, And maintenance is typically higher than depreciation. So if you just look at the cash flow statement for these companies, what typically tends to happen is... uh, uh, there is a certain amount of depreciation on the cash flow statement which increases your cash flows but then uh, there is also some investment to compensate for this depreciation and that investment uh, in cash flow for investing activities that tends to be higher than depreciation so if if you have a, a large factory or something like that uh, that that you're building uh, you have to spend more than depreciation each year just to keep the factory operational and during inflationary times what happens is the amount of money that you have to spend on maintaining these fixed assets is usually much higher than depreciation and so again we end up with the same problem uh, that the cash flows are going to, to owners are going to be uh, much less uh, because a maintenance capex exceeds depreciation very meaningfully so that is not a good strategy during inflationary environments. The second question I get is, why don't you invest in commodities? So if you invest in sugar company, or if you invest in oil companies or things like that, um, typically during inflationary environments, the prices of all these commodities will go up. And because the prices of these commodities will go up, wh- why don't you invest in commodity companies? Uh, and that can be a good strategy. So if, if inflation, remains high for a while, then investing in commodity uh, companies can be a good strategy. But the problem is, I don't know whether inflation will be high or not. So what I want to do is I want to position my portfolio such that if inflation is high, then my portfolio will do well. But if inflation is not high, my portfolio should still do well. So I I don't want to be in the business of predicting how inflation will be. I just want to protect my portfolio from inflation. So if my job is to protect the portfolio from inflation, I have to look at two cases. What happens if there is inflation? What happens if there is no inflation? In both cases, I want the portfolio to do reasonably well. And so if I invest in commodities, what happens is they'll do well if there is inflation, but what if the Fed is uh, very successful in managing inflation or something like that? And there is no inflation, then the portfolio will suffer. So I don't I don't want that. So Munish Pabra likes to call this this type of bet. He likes to say heads I win, tails I don't lose much. That's what I'm trying to do. So uh, that's why I don't like to invest in commodities. But there are some people who have invested in commodities and done very well during inflationary times. It's just that I don't know that I can predict inflation that well. These macro calls are very, very difficult to make. I don't know what inflation is going to be. I just want to protect my portfolio from inflation. And so I don't like to invest in commodities for that reason. But if I invest in businesses that have pricing power, and if I invest in businesses that are capital light, so these businesses typically what they do is they buy commodities, but then they sell a brand. So, if you look at uh, you know, Warren Buffett's investments, if you look at C's Candies, for example, C's Candies buys commodities. They 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 buy milk and they buy sugar and they buy cocoa and things like that, butter and so on, the things that they need to make chocolate. The, these are commodities. They can buy them from any any number of places. But then, what they sell is a brand. If you look at Nike, they they buy. Uh, what uh, whatever it takes to uh, make shoes, canvas, and things like that. The, those are all commodities. But what do they sell? They sell a brand, uh, something with the Nike logo on it. That is worth so much more. So if you can find uh, good brands to buy, uh, that that is always better than uh, buying commodities in the hope of inflation. Because if inflation doesn't materialize, then uh, the commodity won't do so well. But... I can be reasonably confident that Nike will still earn a good return on capital because it's got such a powerful brand. So uh, it's generally a good idea to buy companies that uh, that are in the business of turning low-value commodities into high-value brands. Uh, so these are all the basic things that I wanted to cover about inflation. So I'd be uh, happy to take questions now. Well, I, I, I see Raj... Uh, before that, let me answer this uh, question that we see in the chat. So, what about if the fixed assets are uh, real estate? So that that is a very uh, interesting question. So, um, so it, it depends on what what kind of real estate you have. So, uh, there are in in the US at least uh, if you look at companies that have fixed assets that are real estate. Uh, Those are usually called real estate investment trusts and and things like that. Um, And the the rules with the real estate investment trusts are they have to return 90% of uh, their earnings back to uh, shareholders each year. And so what happens is if this company, if if a real estate investment trust, if they want to grow at all, uh, they have to find debt financing. Uh, there's there's no way for them to grow. Uh, If if you return 90% of your earnings to investors each year, uh, you you can't grow very fast because you can only reinvest 10% back into your uh, business. And so if you want to grow with a real estate portfolio, you have to go and borrow money. And typically what happens is during periods of high inflation, interest rates are also uh, high. They, They will rise to catch up with the inflation. And so, uh, the borrowing becomes a lot less attractive for these companies. So usually, real estate companies, uh, the the only way they can sort of survive and continue growing is to keep issuing more and more debt. And uh, so, when I said I like to invest in companies that make judicious use of debt, what I meant is uh, it should be at the company's choice whether they want to issue debt or not. So, if the environment is favorable, they should be able to issue debt. But if the environment is not favorable, they should be able to rely on their own cash flows and not issue debt. And typically, that's hard to find uh, when you invest in real estate. So that's why I I generally uh, don't don't like uh, investing in real estate investment trusts uh, during an inflationary environment. Uh, So so let's take the next caller, who's Raj. So
1: uh, am I audible?
0: Yes, you are. Okay, perfect.
1: So, so uh, 10K I think um, one thing that I have been um, reading through uh, past uh, many months is the bond market, right? Um, right? And and the bond market, it looks like it is getting very exciting uh, in, uh, in the last forty years compared to uh, you know the stock market because of uh, inflation and the interest rates going up, uh, the in the expectation that the, the yields are going to be higher. Um so so what is your take on bond investing and inflation i mean as investors uh w- what should we should be looking at uh, if there is any opportunity uh in the, in in i mean in these times in inflationary times with, with, the, with the bond bond market uh, th-
0: that is a great question so if if you're investing in in the bond market you're you're, you're essentially buying uh, a stream of cash flows that is typically more certain than uh, investing in stocks. Uh, the, the thing is, du- during an inflationary environment, if people expect inflation to be very high uh, for a long period of time, then uh, the bonds uh, will yield a high rate of interest. Uh, and so there, there are people uh, in, in the 80s, if, if you just looked at uh, treasuries and so on, uh, you you could get treasuries that were yielding something in uh, in the neighborhood of twelve percent, fifteen percent, something like that. Very good return, but the problem was inflation was also at fifteen percent, so you were not making much of a real return. But then what happened was the uh, uh, under under Volcker, uh, the, the, the the Fed was actually successful in containing inflation, and then uh, what what happened was inflation. Uh, tapered down and and then uh, it it became much more reasonable so when inflation went from something like 15% per year to say 5% or 6% per year you still have this uh, uh, if if you had bought this bond this 30 year bond which would pay you a 12% return or a 15% return that's a phenomenal investment because for the first few years you may not have made a real return but you you bought the bond at a very good price uh, and you would earn a high rate of return on it for a very long period of time uh because this 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 was a treasury and so you you would not lose uh, it, it it's pretty much risk free and and so on so uh, there there can be opportunities like this in the bond market uh, but almost always uh, it these opportunities rely on interest rates currently being high and the market uh, the the mar- bond market currently Pricing in this inflation as though it is going to last for a long time, but then we become good at containing inflation, and those expectations of the bond market don't play out over time, and that's when bond investors make uh, very very good returns. I, I don't know if you can predict that <laughs> very well. Uh, so so uh, I, I've never bought a bond, for example. So so but but I know people who who have been fairly successful do, doing this kind of thing.
1: Okay. <clears throat> Thanks a lot. So I have another question, but sure. this is mo- most of the stocks. Now, when we talk about inflation and the CapEx, uh, uh, you know, cap uh, capital light businesses. Now, if you look at uh, technology businesses, SaaS businesses, you know, right? right. Uh, most of them claim to be asset light. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, anything, like if you're looking at. <clears throat> um, so the, the thing is, um, in these times now, uh, do you consider, first of all, a technology business as an asset-like business, uh, which would go uh, in tune with the theme that higher inflation will give you better return on investment for uh, asset-like businesses? I mean, my question is, where do you fit in the technology companies saas companies in in this in this whole uh, inflationary times
0: uh right so I, I would consider apple for example to be an asset like business but i wouldn't consider amazon to be an asset like business so it it really depends uh, on which technology company that we are talking about uh, so so it, it's difficult to make a blanket statement about all technology companies uh, because amazon is is a technology company as well and apple is a technology company as well uh, so so it, it depends on a, uh, a on a on a case by case basis
1: yeah i mean my question is most from the saas kind of businesses um uh you know where most of the infrastructure of capex is uh is in the cloud. Um, I mean, they, other than office buildings or whatever, but you know, if you really look at the capex, it doesn't show up to be higher. I mean, the R&D expenses are higher definitely, but the capex is not that high. But the thing is, uh, as a SaaS business, um, do they have any effect on inflation? Uh, other than, and let's say they also have a pricing power, right? I mean, I, I think the question I'm asking is like. There is a pricing power equation which which you alluded, which is good, but then there is also a cap capital light, uh, you know, uh, equation that also kind of uh, works out. So so I'm I mean if if if, you, if I'm looking for very good SaaS companies, right, um, right, which have both the advantage of a higher pricing power and a lower capex, um, uh, you know, model. Um, you, so, so my
0: question is that, uh, is that a possibility? Uh, well, that, that is definitely a possibility, but there are a couple of caveats here. Uh, so if, if you look at the work of Aswad Damodaran and Michael Maubasan and people like this, they have, they have done some work on this. And uh, so with a, a company like a SaaS company, typically what happens is they make all their investments through the income statement. So if you look at their balance sheet, it will look like they are very asset-light. They don't have any assets and and so on. But uh, that's because they make all their investments through the income statement. So they may spend an enormous amount of money on R&D, for example, each year. And uh, they may have to spend money on sales and marketing to acquire customers and and so on. So these kinds of investments, uh, they have to be expensed right away they cannot go through the balance sheet and they cannot be depreciated over time and things like that. So their capex may be close to zero, but then uh, I wouldn't call them asset light or capital light because they do require uh, capital in the form of sales and marketing and R&D and so on. It's just that this capital doesn't show up on the balance sheet. So there are some SaaS companies that may be uh, uh may, maybe the equation makes sense for them in terms of uh lifetime value of a customer versus the customer acquisition cost or whatever. Uh, but you you really have to look at each individual SaaS company to try and figure out uh, wh- whether uh th- this company has a moat and whether it is uh really capital light in the sense that may- maybe it spends one dollar for every dollar it spends acquiring a customer. It's got a say a twelve month payback period and then after that uh. The customer will not churn for the next five years or something like that. If if they have some pricing power and if if they have truly good uh, dynamics from an LTV CAC standpoint, uh, uh, that that may be a, a reasonably good kind of business to look at. Uh, but you'll have to be very sure about um, the 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 economics of the business.
1: Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks.
0: Sure. Uh, so the next caller is David Park. Hey, it's MK. Hey. Uh, thanks for your information.
2: Uh, I was wondering how you view uh, your emergency funds um, when you think about inflation. Is it completely separate? Like, do you always need access to short-term cash and you would rather take the hit on inflation for your emergency funds? And how much emergency funds do you like to keep?
0: Uh, that that's a great question. So I I, I like to keep around uh, six months of emergency uh, funds on on hand. So so six months of our family's expenses. I like to just keep it in cash in a checking account. Now uh, different people have different sets of recommendations and so on. So for example, if if you're retired and you're relying on your investments to fund uh, fund your expenses. Uh, then some people recommend that you keep five years worth of expenses uh, a, a, as cash on hand, simply because uh, stocks could do anything uh, in in the next five years. But at, at the moment, I I have a reasonably stable uh, source of income, and I, I have some di- diversified sources of income, so I'm I'm not too worried about uh, n- needing a whole lot of cash uh, at short notice. So uh, I, I have six months of expenses uh, in cash. And yes, it's true that that cash is losing money. But um, this is this, this is always a hard decision. Uh, do, do you keep cash in, in your checking account when you know that it is losing money, uh, lo- losing purchasing power uh, to inflation? Um, I'm okay to live with that <laughs> uh, because I... I, I I, I just want to sleep, sleep better at night thinking that, uh, okay, if there is an emergency, I, I don't have to scrounge for cash or something like that. So, so if I, if I have a, if I, if I put it all in stocks uh, and, and my stocks go down 20% or whatever, uh, then I will feel bad about selling those stocks. If I have an emergency need for cash. Uh, so uh, there's no, no real right answer to this. So that, The way I've structured it is I have six months uh, worth of expenses in cash. And I'm okay if um, inflation eats away at at that fund a little bit. From time to time, I will replenish that fund to make sure it's always six months worth of expenses. Um, I don't know if that's a very satisfying answer or not. (laughs) Well, uh, that that answer must have been satisfying because uh, I I can no longer see David Park. (laughs) Uh, So so the next caller is uh, Rehards.
1: Hello, Tenkay.
0: Hello. I have two questions. Um,
1: um, First one, maybe somebody asked asked it already, but uh, if not, what's your take on gold? Do you see it as an inflation hedge and why and second question is um, uh, is there is there a way for a deflation to to come back and if there's a way how what conditions must be fulfilled for
0: a deflation to
1: happen Thank you
0: uh, they bo- both excellent questions uh, yes, so uh, a lot of investors have have a certain percentage of their Portfolio in gold, for example, and uh, we we had um, Jason Bach and uh, T- Taylor Pearson on on this podcast before, where they were talking about the the permanent portfolio, Harry Brown's ideas, and one part of the permanent portfolio is to uh, have gold in your portfolio. So, you know, du- during times of inflation, uh, gold has. Generally held on to its value uh, pretty pretty well historically speaking, um, but the issue again is uh, I don't know if I can predict how long inflation will last or something like that. So unless I'm planning to, uh, uh, unless I'm willing to allocate a significant percentage of my portfolio to gold, and be able to rebalance in and out of it, so. For example, if there is a period of high inflation and gold does really well, I rebalance out of gold and into stocks. And then if if there is a period of low inflation or uh, if if stocks do really well compared to gold, then I should be able to uh, rebalance into gold and out of stocks. Unless I'm planning to do that, I would not necessarily uh, hold gold in my portfolio because there's also this argument that uh the intrinsic value of gold is is 0 dollars or ap- approximately 0 dollars gold has some uses in, in industry and and so on but those those are uh, fairly insignificant compared to why we're holding gold in our portfolios uh so if if you uh, w- Warren Buffett has uh, this this letter w- during one of, in in one of his letters he he said you know if if you take all the gold in the world and um you, you just uh uh, put it in an uh, uh, armored uh, vault or something like that that gold is not going to produce any cash flows so um but if you if you buy a company like apple or starbucks uh that that company for the assets that it has it's going to actually produce cash flows and earn a return on that uh, uh, on on the assets that it has so um all things being equal i prefer an asset that actually Returns cash flows. Um, if if an asset that does not return any cash flows, like gold, for example, then uh, the, the, if you if you do a discounted cash flow analysis of uh, the the cash flows of this asset, which are zero, uh, you, you will get an intrinsic value of zero. <laughs> and uh, if if you're a, a fundamentals driven investor, you would not uh, pay anything above zero for uh, gold, right? Uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: So, so, so uh, there are. Yeah, different...
1: I, I remember Buffett also said that uh, one thing you can do with gold is you can hug it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh,
0: sure. <laughs> Uh, do you want to hug it or do you want to return? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it gives some peace of mind, you know. Isn't it cheaper to buy a teddy bear or something like that? <laughs> yeah. <hug> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, the the question about deflation uh, that that is always a possibility. So um, for for a very long time, deflation has not really occurred, and uh, the. We we've been engaged in all kinds of policies. Go- governments around the world uh, they they love to print money and they they love to enforce policies that whose end effect is to create inflation. So mm-hmm. uh, deflation becomes harder. But if <laughs> if we do have a a, a period of uh, pro- prolonged recession or something like that. Uh, then it is very much possible that uh, we have deflation in that. Uh, so, so it, it, if you have an economy where there, there is a bunch of, uh, there's a basket of goods and services, and people suddenly uh, don't want to buy those, uh, demand for uh, goods and services uh, say d- dries up for some reason, uh, then the price of goods and services will have to come down if supply can't uh, immediately be ratcheted down, right? And mm-hmm. if that happens, then you you have deflation basically. So, uh, if you have a if if you have a lot of inflation and that inflation creates a recession, and then that recession brings about deflation, then it, it's possible that we have deflation uh, for a while. Um, or, or if you believe what uh, Kathy Wood is saying. Um, uh, she she says that all all these technologies, uh, artificial intelligence and uh, uh, sequencing and and all that, uh, they're all deflationary in nature. If if you believe some of that, uh, then you may believe that deflation is a definite possibility. But Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, just as a a student of uh, market history, uh, deflation is definitely a possibility, but it's, it's been a very long time since we've seen deflation. And if you, if you ask me, what's the probability that we see deflation in the next two years or something like that, I, I have no good answer. I, I have no idea yeah. whether there is a probability or not.
1: Okay. Thank you.
0: Sure. Uh, so the next caller is uh, Ricardo. Hello, Tenki. Good
2: afternoon. Hello. Are you hearing me?
0: Uh, Yeah, I can hear you.
2: All right. Um, I have a question. Um, In terms of inflation, what do you think about the, I would call the dummies approach, which is basically, instead of trying to find which company would do well or which company would not, you basically just buy into like a a mutual fund say the vanguard consistently um over time and i would like your opinion also in terms of history there must have been times when inflation was this high and interest rate also high and the stock market going down if it's a good approach i guess for the majority of persons just to buy into a diversified fund like say Vanguard. Um, I know they have many different types, but I would just like your opinion because we do have persons here who are beginners, who is just starting out. And I'm of the opinion that they put in a little over a period of time, especially if they have a long horizon probably they will do better than most. Your opinion. Thank you. Uh,
0: Yeah, definitely. So over a long period of time, uh, if you just dollar cost averaged into an index fund, something like an S&P 500 index fund, uh, you you would have done reasonably well over time. uh, And you you would have beaten most money managers over a, a long period of time. So, uh, it's definitely a reasonable strategy for somebody who doesn't quite uh, know how to read a financial statement and try and figure out whether there is the, uh, whether a business is robust to inflation or not and, and things like that. Um, but if you can uh, position yourself for inflation better by being an active investor, so I'm an active investor. And uh, part of the reason why I'm an active investor is just that I enjoy the process of learning about businesses and trying to think about their economic characteristics and uh, how will this business fare if the, if we have an in- inflationary environment and things like that. I just like to wrestle with these questions. And uh, so I, I have a lot of fun learning about businesses and things like that. And so I'm an active investor. But if you want to be a, a completely passive investor... Um, if you want to invest in uh, in a diversified set of index funds, uh, of course, yes. Uh, some of those uh, some of the stocks in those index funds will be robust to inflation. Some of them won't be robust to inflation. And um, the nice thing about index funds is that over, over a period of time, the stocks that earn good returns they will be weighted more and more in the index fund. And the stocks that don't return good returns. Um, those maybe that that succumb to inflation, uh, their weight in the, in the index fund will go uh, will will go down over time, and so you have this uh, benefit of rebalancing that sort of works in your favor, and if we ever uh, figure out how to deal with this inflation, and um, if if the Fed, for example, is successful at managing inflation and so on, then the index as a whole can start rising and you, you have that potential upside as well. So uh, it's, it's not a bad strategy. I think dollar cost averaging into an index fund over, over a long period of time has worked fairly well historically. And um, my sense is that it should continue to work in the future. Um, but that is not how uh, we, we invest our money in, in, in my family. But that, that is mainly because um, I, I enjoy the process of investing and being an active investor. Does that make sense?
2: Yes, that makes sense. But um, one of my comments is, um, take, for a comp- take, for example, a company. Um, I'm not sure who said it, but uh, I don't know if it's Warren Buffett. But a great company is where you might have a good leader, and they make profit. And if they, that leader changes and you have a leader who is not so um, in touch with the business, the business right. still makes money. So I would just like to extrapolate that to even my personal finance. And I I love the challenge of you know buying my own stocks, looking at the statements, even though I'm just a beginner. But I also have to be thinking about family, wife, kids. And I say to myself, they are not my kids are school going to school and i have to be thinking on what portfolio they would be able to manage simple if i am not in a position to be actively managing it probably your family also is able to um let me see read the financial statements and actively manage but i think for a lot of us especially family with with family who are not into business you know you want also a portion of your portfolio i think that if you know the eventuality you can't be there that they could easily take over or just passively manage um a fund so that's that's um part of my personal investment um outlook but i do well, uh, like the challenge the, but i have to strike a balance also with with um taking into consideration um family also
0: well uh, that th- that's a great point so when you have a portfolio um, if, if something happens to you uh, will your family be able to manage that portfolio will will they be well provided for uh, that that is all, always uh, that that should be a question that that we are all asking ourselves you you shouldn't build a portfolio that is so hard to manage that uh, your your family won't be able to manage it if if something happens to you so um yeah so in in my family uh, other than me um, I, I don't think anyone else is very interested in <laughs> reading financial statements or any, anything like that uh, but the the way that we usually think about this Is um, So if something happens to me, then um, the idea is that the portfolio will be immediately liquidated. And uh, I I have a a sort of standing instruction to my wife that if if something happens to me, liquidate the whole portfolio and uh, put 50% of it into the S&P 500 and the other 50% into Berkshire Hathaway. These are my standard instructions. Uh, So I I don't know if she'll follow these instructions or not. Uh, But, you know, uh, if if I'm gone, I don't have control over it one way or the other. So uh, as long as you uh, have a clear idea of what to do, uh, as long as your family has a clear idea of how to manage the portfolio, even if they are not able to manage the current portfolio, if they can uh, liquidate the portfolio and put it into index funds at that time or something like that, uh, I think that that itself is a reasonable strategy. But yeah, you should actually be clear on uh, whose responsibility it is and what exactly the process is. And uh, you, you have to play to each person's strengths in the family. If reading financial statements is only your strength, if it's not their strength, then you shouldn't require them to be an active investor because you're probably just hurting their chances of earning a good return and living comfortably, right?
2: Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, it looks like we don't have any more questions. So I enjoyed this episode very much. Thank you all so much for uh, showing up. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed it as well. So um, I just want to share a couple of resources. So one one resource uh, is, I already mentioned this, Warren Buffett's uh, article in Fortune magazine. It appeared in 1977, I think. Uh, it was called How Inflation Swindles the Equity Investor. So if you're interested in learning more about inflation, that is definitely a great article to read. And I would also recommend uh, Aswad Damodaran's uh, blog. So recently, he wrote a couple of articles uh, one article is about um, how, how to tell whether a company is robust to inflation or not so he he talks about the cost of equity capital and the cost of debt capital and things like that how will these things be affected by inflation and he also talks about pricing power and and a, a whole host of uh, other other factors um, so when, when does a company have pricing power and uh, how how to tell whether a company is robust to inflation or not and, and things like that. So I, I recommend those two recent articles that he wrote on his uh, blog. So if, if you're interested in learning more about inflation uh, or investing in inflationary times, please read these articles. Uh, so thank you all very much for showing up and uh, see you next Sunday. Bye bye.